Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and this is a continuation of our study in called The Final Redemption of Israel. In the previous program where I introduced the subject, one of the things I tried to do was share how this topic is not a well-known topic amongst Christians. It is a pretty well-known topic among Jewish people. Uh, because they see the Messiah yet to come and still accomplish things. If you were to sit down with a Jewish person who denies Yeshua, who is knowledgeable of the Bible, and ask them why is it they don't believe that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah, they're going to say that he didn't complete the final redemption, that he didn't bring the scattered exiles of the nations back to the land and thus the resurrection and all the other things the prophets speak of that will take place to establish his kingdom. Now, we who are believers of Yeshua the Messiah, we see a much more complicated plan about how all this is taking place, but we do agree that there is a final redemption of Israel, that God has not stopped the program involving with Israel. And in fact, one of the things that we specifically covered in the opening session was this, this notion of covenant theology, that the covenants that God had made before done away with, replaced by the new covenant, that when the Messiah came and after the resurrection and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that he came to establish the church and wasn't dealing with Israel anymore, that he effectively had rejected Israel because they had sinned against him and acted against him with hostility. And we basically presented how that the New Testament does not teach that, and in particular the Old Testament definitely does not teach that. But in particular, I took you through Romans chapter 11, where the very first words were, Has God rejected his people Israel? And Paul answers, uh, you know, may it never be. And he goes on to then conclude, thus all Israel shall be saved. And the whole context of Revelation 11 is explaining how what God has started with Israel, he will finish with Israel. Now, how do you fit Gentiles into this? Well, the Gentiles are pictured as wild branches grafted into the same tree as Israel. And yes, certain natural branches were broken off because of unbelief, but they can be grafted back in as the Lord chooses toward the end. And part of what we're talking about in the final redemption is the branches being grafted back in and the tree being reestablished as Israel. Now, that was our opening session. And one of the things that I would like to share with you in this one is... This, where are the prophecies that talk about that, that Israel is going to be gathered uh, in the final days, in the, in the last generation? Where, where are those verses at? Well, first of all, we have to clarify something. God did prophesy that he was going to scatter Israel. And in fact, if you go to um, Leviticus chapter 26, Moses is very emphatically explaining what was going to happen in Israel if they walked away from the Torah, if they forgot God, if they acted with hostility toward the Lord. And in verse 33, Leviticus 26, verse 33, it says there, You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword after you as your land becomes desolate, your cities become waste. This is history. We have seen exactly this verse take place. First of all, with the 
house of Israel, the northern kingdom, went into Assyrian captivity. We've also seen the house of Judah, the Jewish people. They went into Roman captivity. The land went desolate. And in fact, um, a very famous author, Mark Twain, who was traveling in the 1800s in the Holy Land area, where before the, any of the return, commented on the land of Israel as being a desolate place that no one would live there. Uh, and just as the Lord had said, the Lord did. But just because they've been scattered doesn't mean there aren't verses that then talk about being regathered. And in fact, I want to give you a quick survey of several of the key verses that talk about the regathering of all of Israel, the scattered remnant. And Moses is the predominant person who talks about this, but the prophets speak of it, even the Messiah speaks of it. And so let's look back now at Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verses 1 through 6. This is the final passage. This is the final word from Moses at the end of the Torah where he's explaining just before the children of Israel cross over the Jordan, go into the land, he's explaining, he has explained, you guys are going to live in the land, you're going to disobey, and the Lord's going to scatter you to the nations. Well, that doesn't sound very good. Uh, but now he, in these words, is going to speak to what the Lord will do after we have been in those nations for a while, being punished by the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning at verse 1, it says, So it shall be, when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you. Here we are today, Israel scattered in the nations. Yes, some of the Jewish people have returned to the land, but the vast majority of the Jewish people and the people of Israel are still scattered in the nations. And here we are as believers of this same Messiah, and we're scattered in the nations. We're not living the land either, and we are calling to mind these prophecies. We're calling to mind the teaching of Moses about the gathering of the scattered exiles. And he says the following to us. He said, In the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God, and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons, then the Lord will restore you. Let's hold it there for a moment. In this generation, not only have we seen the Jewish people return to the land, but all around the world, we've seen another group of people, aren't necessarily Jewish, but they've been returning to the Lord. In other words, they have a testimony of believing in Yeshua the Messiah, but by returning to the Lord, they've returned to the instruction of Moses. And the scripture says, when you return with all your heart and soul and do according to all I command you today, meaning the Torah instruction. And we have a group of those brethren and believers that are doing that. We call them Messianic brethren. They are returned. They have a testimony of Yeshua. They are returning to the commandments that was given by the Lord through Moses. And it goes on to say, you and your sons, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity, meaning bring you out of the nations where you've been taken captive, have compassion on you. And by the way, that's huge. 
Um, one of the things the Lord had said to the house of Israel was that when he would scatter the nations, he would turn his face away from them and not show them compassion. And now he's saying, no, I will show them compassion. Now, we know the Lord has been good to us, uh, and we all can give testimony to that. But we still don't see yet, when the Lord says, I will have compassion on you, how much better that's going to be. Because we're still in the nations, we don't have that, but he's promising that he will give it to us again. And I can tell you right now that that's going to be a good and excellent thing. And we'll have compassion on you, and we'll gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God scattered you. So there's that gathering thing. We're going to be pulled out of those nations where we've been scattered. We're going to be making our way back to the land. Now, as to the details of that, I have other prophecies to show you. This is simply stating the fact that it says this is what God plans to do. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you back. Now, I live in Oklahoma. And I can tell you from the standpoint of the biblical accuracy, Oklahoma qualifies as one of the remotest parts of the earth um, for this verse. And here I stand as a testimony to you, a believer of Yeshua, believing these prophecies that I will be gathered up, I will make my way back to the land. And the fact that I'm coming from Oklahoma makes those words true. Now, you may be in another location uh, that is a remote part of the earth. And in fact, essentially it qualifies for every nation wherever we would come from. We are in places that our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, never heard of. So that's what qualifies as being a remote land where we've done. The Lord will bring you back into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. Now, that's the language of the Torah, that when we do return, we return also keeping and knowing the commandments of the Lord, and that we prosper and we have that blessing uh, that comes from obedience, as you know. Uh, the Lord taught us through Abraham that obedience produces blessing, disobedience produces curse. Now he's here talking about we will be an obedient people, we will be a people that will be receiving the blessing. Now let me also take you now again to Leviticus 26. I shared the verse with you in verse 33 that said that they would be scattered. But let's look at what Leviticus 26 says in response to being scattered. Beginning at verse 40, it says, If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness which they committed against me, and also in their acting with hostility against me, I was acting with hostility against them to bring them into the land of their enemies, or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they make amends for their iniquity. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land, for the land will be abandoned by them, and will make up for its Sabbaths, while it is made desolate without them. 
They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity, because they rejected my ordinances, and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I abhor them so as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will remember for them the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, and that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Now, it's very clear that at the conclusion of this great judgment chapter of Leviticus 26, which talked about all the punishments that were going to befall Israel if they were disobedient, the conclusion of the matter is God was still going to remember the covenant, God was still going to show mercy, and God in the end was going to be bringing them back. Now, part of bringing them back is to repent. Well, part of repentance is you learn to obey. Uh, it's, it's one of the things that happens when you begin to study the commandments of the Lord. It automatically teaches you where you've transgressed, and it teaches you how to uh, turn away from that transgression and begin to obey the Lord. So you ask for forgiveness of your iniquities, and you move forward and, and, and cease to transgress, which is what true repentance is. You begin to obey instead of continuing to transgress the Lord. And the Lord says that when that takes place, and by the way, in Deuteronomy it says, when you return to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might, which is keeping the law, that these good things are going to be happening to you. God's going to remember the covenants that he's made. Now, this particular last word, I, I want to um, re, restate it again. Uh, yet in spite of this, when you are in the land of your enemies, I will not reject you, nor will I abhor them to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. I was taught when I was in the church the exact opposite. Those words were never showed to me. In fact, what I was told was that Israel had been rejected by God, they had disobeyed, that the covenant that God made with their fathers, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and through Moses with our ancestors that came out of Egypt, that covenant was over with. It was rendered null and void. It is no more. It's been replaced by the new covenant. And therefore, uh, the land, the promise of the land of Israel is no longer applicable. And by the way, that was the conventional teaching of the entire Christian church right up to 1948. And in 1948, all of a sudden, there was a whole bunch of people from Israel that came back to the land, and the nation was reestablished. A lot of you don't know this, but evangelical Christianity here in the United States used to be considered by the World Council of Churches prior to 1948 as this heretical group, that this teaching that Israel would be a nation again was heresy, and that they had been rejected, and God was not going to deal with them anymore. These promises are null and void. They're no longer of any bearing and so forth. But in 1948, when Israel became a nation, evangelical Christianity hit the map. Now, praise God for that, but evangelical Christianity is still caught in the trappings of the heretical teaching about covenant theology, about how God has rendered all of the previous covenants as the, quote, old covenant, 
But I'm here to tell you that fundamental teaching is false. It denies many scriptures. Not the least is this. This verse I just read to you from Leviticus 26. So that's what Leviticus 26 succinctly says. But let's look at some other places now as to where God has talked about this gathering. Um, Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 16. There's two places I'm going to show you in Jeremiah here. Jeremiah chapter 16, beginning at verse 10. This is Jeremiah's word now, the prophet Jeremiah. Now, when you tell the people all these words, they will say to you, For what reason has the Lord declared all this great calamity against us? And what is our iniquity or what is our sin that we've committed against the Lord our God? Now, the question being posed goes hand in hand with what Moses said in Deuteronomy 30. And so it shall be when you have the blessing and the curses come upon you, and you call to mind in all the nations where the Lord has scattered you. Here we are, and we're going, how in the world did we get scattered to all these nations? What happened to Israel that caused all of her descendants to be scattered in all the nations. So here's Jeremiah said, now when you start asking this question, what was this calamity and how did this calamity get going? How did all of Israel get scattered? Here's how he wants you to answer. Back to Jeremiah 16. Then you are to say to them, it is because your forefathers have forsaken me declares the Lord, and have followed other gods and served them and bowed down to them. But me they have forsaken and have not kept my law. Now we know historically that is accurate. We know that Israel misbehaved from the time they went into the land. They never did keep the Torah correctly. And finally, to the days of the Assyrian captivity with the house of Israel, they rejected Jerusalem going worshiping there. There was a split in the nations. They set up temples in Bethel and up in Dan and tried to do their own thing. They turned to Sumerian gods. God sent them into captivity with the Assyrians. And the same thing, same thing is true of the Jews, those that lived down in Judea. Their misbehavior, even acting with hostility against God, killing the prophets, all of those things. We know those have gross sins. And as a result, we saw them captured by the Romans and sent into captivity by the Romans and later into all of the nations of the world. Now, we've seen that, and that's what our fathers did. Now, that's not my responsibility, right? I mean, that's what my forefathers did. So why am I having to suffer being in the nation scattered when, in fact, it wasn't I who did that. It, It was our forefathers. Well, one of the things that you learn spiritually is is that that we are responsible for our fathers and we're responsible for our children. God sees us as multi-generational, but we're still part of the same family. In fact, the Hebrew term is Lador, Lador, from generation to generation. These commandments and covenants extend to us. And the truth of the matter is, and if you go back to Leviticus 26, if you will repent of your iniquities, and that of your forefathers, he said. In other words, we're part of Israel, and we apologize for the way all of Israel has behaved before the Lord. This is the same thing that Daniel did. In Daniel, when he was in Babylon, 
he repented for what his forefathers had done as well as what his own generation had done. And this is what Jeremiah is speaking of too. Now he goes through and he says, the reason you're in captivity is because of what your forefathers done. But then look at what he says of us. You too have done evil, even more than your forefathers. For behold, you are each one walking according to the stubbornness of its own evil heart without listening to me. Uh, those particular words really burned through me because I have had the opportunity to teach many, uh, to especially some of my evangelical brethren. And I've had the opportunity to present some of this teaching to them in previously. And one of the things that is always highly disturbing to me is just how stubborn they are. They will not listen to what the Lord said. It's not my opinion. I'm repeating to you what the Lord has said. Now, they have out of one side of their mouth, they say, oh, yes, I love the Lord. I believe in the Lord. You know, I, I'm trusting him for my salvation. Yes, I believe I should obey the Lord. Now, I read what the Lord says, and then they get stiff-necked and stubborn, and which is another evidence to me that they're part of Israel because Israel behaves that way. They're stubborn and stiff-necked. And it bothers me, especially when there's a Christian leader, a pastor type, uh, someone who has responsibility for the brethren. They see these words, and they ignore them. They skim past them. They don't want to hear them. They dismiss them. They want to just keep what they have going on, on and on, and they will not come to terms with this. And I'm telling you, and you know this, there's a day coming when there's going to have to be a reconciliation to all of this. And so when I hear about uh, their stubbornness and so forth, that's the reason why today we have the problem that we have. We ourselves are still committing even greater sins than our forefathers. Consider this for the moment. Our forefathers did not know who the Messiah was. They had not yet received the Messiah to come, fulfill the promise of his coming. But they believed that he would come. And then they misbehaved, and they wouldn't obey the commandments of the Lord. Now, what is the difference between them and us? The difference is the Messiah has come. We do know who the Messiah was. We did see him fulfill the promises. We believe in him. We trust him. Did that then encourage us to obey all the commandments of the Lord? No. In fact, we have some teachers that say because we believe in the Messiah, that's the reason why we don't have to obey the commandments of the Lord. Because, see, we have the grace of God through the Messiah. Therefore, we don't have to obey. Stop and think for a moment. That theology can't come from heaven. That theology is from the pit. That is the dumbest thing that you could possibly say. I mean, just step back for a moment, take a deep breath, and just say, how could I say something that would just be exceedingly dumb? Let's see, I believe in the Messiah, the Messiah has come to save me, and this gives me license to not obey the commandments of the Lord. Right. Ridiculous. And this is what the Lord's talking about. This is the kind of stubbornness that's in the heart today of believers. And this is one of the reasons why we're still scattered in the nations. And it's just as Jeremiah said. So here he continues on. 
after not listening to the Lord. So he says, I will throw you out of this land into the land which you have not known, neither you or your fathers. Welcome to Oklahoma. I guarantee you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob never heard of the place. If I could sit down with them and say, well, actually, over on the other side of the world, there's this United States. Right in the middle is this state called Oklahoma, and there's going to be a bunch of us sitting down there reading these words and considering this. Abraham's going to look at us and say, never heard of the place. So it goes on to say, um, and there you will serve other gods day and night, for I will grant you no favor. Do you remember where I was talking about that God's compassion, his face turned away from us while we're in captivity? And that there's a day coming when he will show compassion to us again. Well, the same thing is of his favor. If you think you've seen a lot of the grace of God, wait till you see when he turns his face back and when we're with compassion and with favor. Because the reality is that we are still in a period of punishment. I'm always reminded of the scenario, the story of where you see a father who has to discipline his son. At the moment that the son is dealing with the punishment and the discipline, maybe there was a set of restrictions that were put upon him. He was grounded. Um, That's not the time that dad comes over and wants to have fun with the son. The dad is going to kind of turn away from the son and let the son kind of sit in that for a little bit. He's going to endure the restriction that he's given him before he will grant favor toward his son again. We're in that same mode with the Lord. The Lord is not granting us favor right now. We are being punished. We're scattered in the nations. Now, he shifts gears, and I love this part. Jeremiah then says, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when it will no longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought you up the sons of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of the north and from all the countries where he banished them, for I will restore them to their own land, which I gave to their fathers. Now, we know the ancient story of the Egyptian exodus. We know that God told Abraham that his descendants would go down into this land, that they would become enslaved for a certain period of time, but that God would bring them back up out and they would um, they would uh, pillage that land. They would come up with many possessions out of that land. And sure enough, uh, four, four generations later, uh, after Jacob, why Israel is gathered up and brought up out of Egypt by Moses. And we know the story of the Exodus and uh, even have seen the movie. And um, so he's saying that even as is, we saw Israel coming out of the land of Egypt, he said the day's coming when we use the word Exodus that will not be referring to what happened back with Egypt that the word exodus is going to have an even more bigger and more powerful definition to it. It will be, we'll be describing when God brings up all of Israel from all the different nations where they have been scattered and brings them back to the land to restore them completely in the kingdom. Now, when you say the word exodus right now today, everybody thinks Egypt. But there's a day coming, as he says, when you'll say the word Exodus, 
we're going to be talking about something even greater than the exodus from Egypt. I've written a book called The Greater Exodus, which goes through and tries to explain this in some detail. And the final redemption of Israel includes a greater exodus from all of the nations. This is the gathering of all of the people that belong to the Lord and how they'll be gathered about. Now, I mentioned to you that Jeremiah covers this twice. The second place where we see Jeremiah covered is Jeremiah 23, and beginning at verse 4, he says, I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will call the Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say as the Lord lives who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all the countries where I had driven them, and then they will live on their own soil. Now, the language here in chapter 23 is virtually identical to chapter 16, but we have a couple of new things. We're now making reference to the Messiah as part of this. And in fact, within the circles of Judaism, the final redemption to them is defined as when the Messiah comes back and brings all the scattered exiles back. That it's the work of the Messiah that brings them all back. That's the reason why today in the modern messianic movement, where you have people who have a testimony of Yeshua the Messiah, you're keeping the commandments of the Lord and learning to keep the commandments of the Lord, that you have a sense of anticipation and identity as being part of the people of Israel, and you're looking for the Messiah to return so that you can go live in the land with the Messiah. That is the final redemption. Now, I have heard um, some of my own Messianic brethren who want to dispute some of this. In particular, they don't think that the land of Israel will be large enough for all the different people to come back, and they think that it will be pushing Jewish uh, people out and things like that. Uh, excuse me. Let, me. let me remind everybody about the land of Israel. <clears throat> the actual land of Israel that was promised to Abraham was a down payment. The fact of the matter is the Lord is the Lord of the whole world. And when it talks about in the kingdom coming back to the land, we're talking about coming back to the first installment in which the Lord owns the whole earth. And we will inhabit, as it says in the Messianic kingdom, all of the earth. But guess what it's all going to be called? Israel. It'll all be called Israel. We'll all worship the Lord in Jerusalem. The Lord will dwell with us in Jerusalem for the whole earth. So this whole supposition about that if we have all these messianics and some coming from non-Jewish sources uh, all hoping to go back to the land, uh, what they're hoping to do is go to the kingdom. And that is not going to be a problem, an issue 
certainly were not going to have the present landscape of the land of Israel to be the kingdom. In fact, uh, my Bible says that when the Messiah returns, there's going to be major cataclysmic upheaval of the earth where it talks about how mountains will be made low, Jerusalem will be raised up as chief of mountains, um, the sea will be no more, the earth will be a broad plain, um, all kinds of upheaval. So the world's going to be a totally different place. In fact, the scripture says it will be a new world. Um, and I think that when he comes through the um, universe, traveling through, and the power of him is knocking stars and constellations and galaxies out of their place, we may have a new set of heavens as well. When it's all said and done, the Lord's return to the earth in great power and glory is going to make a lot of changes. And so we will dwell in that kingdom and be a part of that creation that God has done and be part of his kingdom. And that's what's being expressed here. Uh, it's being expressed that we're going to transition from the nations where we're scattered today and we're going to be going into the kingdom. And it, and it says that the Messiah is going to be a central part of that. When it says that he, he will reign as king and act wisely, the other passages of Scripture that talk about the Messiah's leadership in his own kingdom, it speaks to justice and righteousness in the land. I will show you uh, later on a passage of Daniel where he talks about the seven things that will be established in the kingdom. And this is part of it. These are words and references to the Messiah's reign in the millennial kingdom. And, uh, and he talks about all of Israel will be saved. Judah is going to be saved. Israel will dwell securely. When Paul talked about in Romans 11, thus all Israel will be saved, it's the same language. We're talking about the same subject uh, that we are here. Now, I've been mentioning just a couple of places in the Old Testament, um, what Moses had to say, what a couple of the prophets had to say. But let's accelerate just a little bit to when did the Messiah talk about this? I mean, Yeshua came. He dwelt with us. Did he ever bring this topic up? Well, he did. And he brought it up in a very, shall we say, simple way. Again, it was going back to the Messiah would come as a shepherd. And so in the language of a shepherd, he expressed this same teaching. And here's how he said it. In John chapter 10 and verse 16, he said this. This is the Messiah speaking. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, we know for a fact that the house of Israel was scattered in the other nations when Yeshua spoke this. There was the house of Judah was in the land, but the house of Israel was scattered. And so he speaks to the two houses of Israel, Israel scattered, Judah standing there, and he speaks of that they have to come together, and he's got to bring those back. Here is the Messiah answering directly to when Jews complained that Yeshua wasn't the Messiah. He didn't bring the scattered exiles. Yeshua is saying, I recognize I have other sheep. They're not of this fold. I will bring them also. So he addresses that and specifically speaks but they want the timing to be when they wanted rather than when God said he wanted it. And I think that God 
wanted to do this in this way because over the course of these many centuries since the Yeshua was with us and spoke these words, many people have been born into the world and many people have come to faith in the Messiah. Quite honestly, if Israel had not been scattered, there's many nations that would not have learned of him, known of him. And as a result of Israel being scattered to the nations, literally has become a light to the nations to share the story of the Messiah, of the Creator God, His promises, His covenants. And almost all nations know of the ancient story of the Exodus from Egypt. They know it. And they know about the story about the Messiah coming and being crucified. They have all heard these things. Um, it, you can even go to China. They have heard of them. Uh, and any of the other remote parts of it. Even people in Oklahoma have heard this and are a part of this. And we can see that the Messiah is speaking to that he's going to do that in the future. He's going to bring the two houses back. Now, Ezekiel, uh, the prophet, speaks very specifically about this gathering uh, at the end of the ages, but he also speaks of it in the form of joining back the two houses, reunifying the two houses. Let me just remind everybody historically that... Um, in the days after uh, King Solomon, there, there was a rift that took place in the land of Israel. The northern tribes decided to break away from the house of Judah, the house of David, because the new king, after Solomon, uh, took counsel from young men to tax even more so the people uh, of Israel to build even more than Solomon built, and the people rejected it especially the northern kingdom, and what was called the house of Israel, rejected it. They formed a new king for them, and it was over uh, taxing. It was over the issue of uh, over taxing. There was a split in the nation. There wasn't a war. It was just it was an economic issue. Now, the house of Israel began to do their own thing to the north. They still believed in the God of Israel, but they also decided to mix it with other Sumerian gods and other things like that. And uh, the house of Judah stuck with Jerusalem and made that the focal point of where they were at in Judea. And there was still a couple of loose tribes, and they're scattered back and forth and so forth. And so it became the definition of Israel became the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So the prophet Ezekiel is speaking to that dynamic that has taken place. And he says in Ezekiel chapter, well, first of all, let me back you up in Ezekiel chapter 37 in the first part. Ezekiel has a very fascinating vision. It's called the dry bones vision. In which that Ezekiel sees this image of all these bones, these piles of bones everywhere. And he said the Lord told him to speak to the bones. And essentially the bones became connected and they began to stand up. And they, God put the spirit back into them and they became alive. And it's a wonderful, incredible picture of the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. Everybody thought Israel was dead, gone. And this was one of the core passages the evangelicals prior to 1948 were preaching and teaching that was called heresy uh, by the World Council of Churches, established Christianity. The Catholics, all established denominations, considered it all heretical, 
because somebody was taking Ezekiel 37 and speaking to that Israel would be formed as a nation again, as a people would be raised up. So we get down a little bit further into Ezekiel 37. We get to verse 12, and here's what it says. Therefore prophesy and say again, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. Well, that's talking about the resurrection. Those are talking about things at the end. We're talking about the final redemption of Israel. We're talking about the final things. My people and I will bring you into the land of Israel. You've already heard me share several verses. Yeah, we're going back to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves. My people, I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and I will place you on your land. Then you will know I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. You could say that the people in the land of Israel today, they are a part of this prophecy. You could say that messianics today that have left the church and have now become messianic in their faith, they are a part of this prophecy. Each of us have been directed, moved by the Lord to do these different things. This is part of the dynamic. This is part of what's called the final redemption of Israel. Now he goes a little bit further. And we're going to talk about the two houses now. And in verse 15, Ezekiel 37, he says this. The word of the Lord came again to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions. Then join them for yourself together into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when the sons of your people speak to you, saying, Will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will become one in my hand. The sticks on which you write will be your hand on your in your hand before your eyes. Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side, bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. One king will be king for all of them, and they will no longer be two nations, no longer be divided into two kingdoms. No longer, after the final redemption, do we have a house of Israel and a house of Judah. No longer do we have B'nai Ephraim, the sons of Ephraim, or uh, the Jewish people. We're all going to be Israel. We will all be Israelites. We will all be part of the land. We'll all be part of the kingdom of Israel. And the Messiah will be Messiah of all of us. That's what this prophecy is talking about. We're talking about the final redemption, when all of Israel is gathered together. So not only do you have this restoration of this ancient division that took place in the history of Israel, not only do you have all of the scattered exiles that are scattered throughout the nations because of the sins of our forefathers, you have the Lord bringing all of those issues together 
in him to bring us all back to the land at the same time. Thus, we call the final redemption of Israel. Now, Isaiah uh, is also speaks to this, and he has an incredible um, thing that he says about this dynamic between Ephraim and Judah. In Isaiah 11 and verse 10, it says, Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, meaning we will turn to the Messiah. The Messiah is the root of Jesse, the branch that springs forth through uh, David, uh, his father. David was the son of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples. In other words, the Messiah stands up, and he's the focal point of our return and how we return. And his resting place will be glorious. We're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about the millennial kingdom where the Messiah will rule from Jerusalem. There will be no end to the increase of his kingdom. It will be, in fact, glorious and wonderful. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. Instead of saying from the remotest parts of the earth, in this list, Isaiah lists off a bunch of places that were known in the days of Isaiah. Isaiah could tell you where the land of Shinar is at, and he could tell you where the uh, islands were at. Uh, And so he's speaking of those that were known in his day. Now, the other prophecies spoke of remote lands that our fathers never heard of. Isaiah's giving a list of those that were recognized by the people in that day that were lands at great distances. And so that's essentially what he's doing. And he says, And he will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Then the jealousy of Ephraim will depart and those who harass Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah, and Judah will not harass Ephraim. Um, I have to tell you a little bit of a funny story here uh, having to do with this verse. Within the modern messianic movement, there are a number of messianic believers and teachers. In fact, some of the larger organizations in the messianic movement, the ones that first started, they don't believe in this teaching of the two houses. You know, they see the Messianic movement as a kind of a restoration thing within Judaism. In fact, some of them advocate that Messianic theology, we should be the fourth branch of Judaism, that we're not really part of Christianity, we're the fourth branch of Judaism. There's the Orthodox, the Reconstructionists, the Reform, and the Messianics. That's what they'd like to advocate. I can just tell you that I've watched them all generation long. They've made no progress on this whatsoever. The rest of the Jewish people, religious Jews, consider us all to be traitors, and there's no way they're going to accept us as a different version of Judaism. Um, we're, we are Christians. We, we believe in the Messiah. Now, we call ourselves Messianics because we emphasize the Mashiach as opposed to Christos, which becomes Christian, we follow Mashiach, which becomes Messianic. Same thing, we believe that the Messiah Yeshua was born, came into the world, uh, did the work of redemption, uh, did much teaching, was um, sacrificed, died on the cross, resurrected, 
um, went up into the heavens and is definitely coming back to rule and reign over the earth when he returns. Same things the Christians teach. Uh, Judaism doesn't teach that, obviously. So here we are talking about these prophecies of the two houses of Israel and some of the early leaders were trying to figure out why in this messianic movement were there way more Gentiles believers coming into the messianic movement instead of just all Jewish believers. And like I said, some of the original organizations wanted to cater to their Jewish brethren and wanted to become the next branch of Judaism. But if you let all these Gentiles in, then you start looking Gentile stuff, and that's definitely going to be rejected by your Jewish brethren. And so they began to move to the point of, we don't want to be a part of that, to the extent that these became bigoted. And I am not diminishing that word one bit. They even advocated, says, oh, yeah, we'll let Gentile Christians come in and join us in our assemblies. They can help us build our assemblies, but you're not really part of us. In fact, there's a... One of the major Messianic Jewish organizations says, yeah, you can become a member, but you can't become a full member unless you're really of Jewish descent. If you're not of Jewish descent, you can only be an associate member of our organization. Pure bigotry. And it's exactly what Isaiah 11 is talking about. It's talking about Judah harassing Ephraim and Ephraim being jealous of Judah. Those are the days we're in. That's what we're at. And and it says this dynamic is part of the description of part of this return right now. Now, praise God, the day is coming as part of the final redemption. There's not going to be any controversy over this. My Jewish brethren are going to accept Ephraim, and Ephraim is going to accept Judah, and we will be unified together. We'll become under one Messiah, one land, one nation, Israel. And these days will be going away. Now, that's where I'm going to leave you at on this session. And our next program, we're going to go back to specifically what Paul talked about in the New Testament about some of this. But let me just conclude with this. It is very clear that uh, God's word clearly says that Israel has not been rejected. It is also very clear, multiple prophecies, that God says, I realize that Israel has been scattered in the nations, appears to have been broken off from God, but I, the Lord, will remember the covenant with them. I will restore them. I will keep them. I will bring them back from all the places where they have been scattered. That's God's plan, and that is part of the definition of what we call the final redemption of Israel. Shalom, everyone.